Today we're starting a new series, um, having just finished our In-Betweeners series. That was a good series, wasn't it? Between um, Solomon and going up to Elijah, which we'll probably do in the autumn. This is a new series, a four-part series, that we wanted to look at healing together as a church, because God is doing so much among us with healing, um, and so much across the nation, that we just want to go over it again as a church, that we're all on the same page, moving forward with what God is doing. And so with this series, we're going to be looking at theory, we're going to be looking at practice, we're going to look at stories, we're going to look at the theology, we're going to look at observations, and also if you want to follow through the series, there's a great book that Bruce Collins has just brought out, uh, Jesus Gospel, Jesus Way, uh, Book One Kingdom, Book Two Power, very Bruce, um, but it's all about um, a theology of uh, the kingdom and of healing, it's an excellent, excellent book, and we've got a box of 100, uh, there are 10 £10 each. If you can't afford £10, give £5 uh, each for one of these books. If you can't afford the £5, we'd rather you have one. But obviously, Bruce has to sell these, so, you know, um, we'll get the box out later. So today is part one. Um, Today we're going to be looking at stories, okay? So this is like the taster on the menu to get us going. So, with stories, I thought we'd start with looking at, I was thinking of some um, healings that stand out in my, in my memory, that over the years that we've been in ministry, which is about 30 years now, um, looking at, we've seen healing all during those years, but I was thinking, what are the ones that stand out and what can we learn from it? So one of the ones I really remember because the impact it had, do you remember um, Ted who used to come over here quite often? And um, many of you will never have met Ted, but Ted is a friend of ours who runs a church um, called The Rock in... um, Pennsylvania. And um, he and his wife, Joyce, we became good friends with them. We used to often go out to the States and do some work in their church. And one time we went out there, Joyce was explaining how her parents weren't really keen about them pioneering church. Um, They didn't have faith. Um, They didn't really believe in church or God. They weren't happy with what Ted and Joyce were doing. They felt it was, um, you know, they weren't weren't earning much money. And uh, they were concerned about them. Um, And so on one of our visits over there, um, Joyce said, could you possibly come and pray for my mother? Because she's in agony uh, with arthritis. And she's so got so much pain now in her body, especially in her hips, that she can barely go out. She can't manage the house. Her husband, I don't, I'm not sure if they were retired, but he had had to take on a lot of the, um, uh, well, virtually everything. He was pretty much running everything. She's in so much pain. So we went over to the house a little bit um, daunted because knowing that they weren't really keen on what Ted and Joyce were doing or on what we were doing and that they had no faith, but this lady was desperate. So we turned up and had a chat with Joyce's mother and she was in agony. She was sitting down and Julia said, well, let's pray for you because God does want to heal your body. And so she stood up, but as she stood up, it was so painful for her to stand. And she was just a little lady and she was standing there and Julian was stood in front of her praying and I stood to the side here and and I said put my hand where it hurts the most and so she took my hand and put my hand on her hip and we just started to pray that God would heal her and within a couple of minutes she suddenly went my hip's better my hip's better and she grabbed my hand and she said quick do it the other side (laughs) and so she grabbed my hand put it the other side where it hurt and we prayed again And all the pain left her. 
she she began to cry um, because she was so shocked of God's kindness and love towards her that he would heal her body. Um, She said, did you know your hands were really hot? So this is the one of the, the signs we see often that when people are being healed, either the person praying their hands become hot or a part of the body becomes hot. So I was feeling my hands. They didn't seem any hotter than normal to me. Um, but she'd felt this heat go through her hip and heal her. And so she grabbed my hand and put it the other side. Well, during that, um, at that moment, um, her husband came in and he came back from um, shopping and he'd brought a McDonald's because he I don't think he'd learned to cook yet because um, he was doing all the work and he brought in this McDonald's and he walked into the flat and he could see immediately that his wife was different he could just see it she didn't even have to say and he said what happened to you and she said you know God has taken away all my pain and the pair of them there and then gave their lives to Jesus they realized that God was real that the doctors hadn't been able to touch her pain here she was completely healed and they knew that God was real and they stood and they held hands in the middle of that room and Julian led them in a prayer and they gave their hearts to the Lord and became Christians that day and that's one that stands out in my memory because many people get healed and walk away I remember the lepers you know only one came back to say thank you um, but this couple found Jesus in that same period of time, we went to visit Randall's church. And um, to be honest, I remember on this occasion, I was like horribly jet lagged. And I was sat in a meeting feeling sick and tired and dizzy. And Julian was preaching. And then Randall said, oh, maybe you and Sarah could just pray for the sick now. And I was like, really? <laughs> Great. <laughs> so I sort of hobbled to the front wondering what day it was or where I was. And, and I remember that the, this lady came to the front, a little lady, and she had a condition. I don't know what it was. But her, the way I could describe it, it was like on her back, she had lumps like little new potatoes. And it was like little new potatoes sticking out of her back. And so they asked me to lay hands on her and pray. So it, it was like a slightly unpleasant thing, touching someone else's, like, you know, I don't know what these lumps were. Anyway, I just prayed a simple prayer and all the lumps went. And that, that, I don't even know what condition it was, and that lady was healed. And I was thinking, the other thing we learn is it doesn't depend on us. We have to be obedient. I wasn't feeling full of faith. I wasn't even feeling very well. I was just obedient. Someone asked me to come and pray, and I prayed, and that lady was healed. And then the last one that really stands out to me is when I was a little girl, um, my, my parents um, uh, weren't, weren't Christians. They went through some difficulties in their life. And then a friend um, uh, took them along to some things and started talking with them. And they found Jesus. Their life changed. Our family life changed. And they took us to a film. And there I understood what had happened. And I, and I found faith as well. I was age eight. And um, it was a period of time in Britain that was called um, the Jesus Movement, uh, where it was sort of like uh, Christian hippies. So everyone in community and singing over each other's houses. And it was all love and peace and just loving Jesus. And it was this amazing period of time. And I was a child carried along in this. And I, I could not get enough. I just wanted to know who Jesus was, what he meant to me. I would sit and read my Bible in my bedroom. I, I, w- I would write out little Bible studies. This is at eight, nine, and ten years of age. I don't think anyone 
anyone ever saw the light of day of those Bible studies, but I just felt passionate. I started a little club behind the guide hut where I would pray and lay hands on people. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just passionate for Jesus. And during that time, on Thursday nights, we would go to a church called Hainault Church. There's a guy called Trevor Deering who had suddenly uh, found through his ministry, as he prayed for people, they got healed. And people who had demons, the demons would be cast out. And so I would sit there as a young child of nine and ten, seeing this happen uh, week after week. I was allowed to stay up on a school night, the added bonus of having chips on the way home. And um, I remember I used to sit next to this lady who had a terrible acne condition when she was young. And it left her face really disfigured. And her face was kind of like the texture of porridge. And I sat next to this lady. I can't even remember her name. And I would sit next to her every week. And we kind of became friends. I think she took me under her wing a little bit. And then one week, um, I missed the meeting because I had guide parade, because I was in the guides for a little bit. And... um, Then I came back the following week to find that she wasn't there. And then the next week she wasn't there. And I said to my mum, because I was a bit sad, where was this lady? I can't remember her name. Where was the lady? And she said, oh, no, she's been there every week. And I said, well, where? Because I didn't see her. And then she said, oh, we forgot to tell you. Uh, Jesus healed her face. Her skin condition was completely healed that she'd had from a young person. And I hadn't even recognized her. So the next week I went, she looked totally different. I remember that as a child. And so growing up, uh, through my teenage years, I knew that Jesus is real. He had touched my life, changed my family. I'd seen the sick healed and people with demons cast out and turned back to a normal condition. And so I think as well, we need to make sure that our children are included in this journey, that as we take a journey as a church with healing and the supernatural and what God is doing, that our children are part of that, that it will help them when they face tough times to know that God is real. So those are just a few little stories, and I'm going to share you a couple of my stories. And... um, One of them, that many of you heard this story before, is that um, when we were running the Gap, on one occasion, we took the Gap kids um, to a famous burger chain. And I don't usually eat burgers and chips. It's just not my preference. But I was eating a burger to just hang out with the kids. And halfway through the burger, I thought, "This this just doesn't taste right. And by that night, I was ill. And I was ill for weeks. And after three weeks, I went to the doctor and I said, look, I ate something funny. But actually, three weeks later, I'm still really ill. And he said, oh, it's a superbug going around Swansea. Just take some time off, go home. Um, Two weeks later, I still couldn't eat anything. I was just drinking water. I couldn't keep any food down. Um, My stomach was like in a vice. I was in a lot of pain. I went back to the doctor. He said, no, no, it's like a super, super bug going around Swansea. You know, everybody's got it. Go home. I knew there was something wrong. And really, I was sort of in that kind of not being able to eat very much for about two years, where I could eat like thin green soup, a little bit of chopped up this or that. But I just, it, something had happened in my insides that I, it just totally affected my ability to eat food. And so over the next few years, the doctors couldn't do anything. They tested various samples. They said there was nothing wrong. But obviously, there was something wrong. And so I gradually tried to introduce foods into my diet. But there were certain things I just couldn't eat. So I couldn't, I couldn't have dairy. I couldn't eat anything. Like if we went to a restaurant, it was a bit dirty. Um, within, If I ate something or touched something dirty, within about 20 minutes, I'd start to tremble and have a really bad 
bad headache. And you think, oh, what's the matter? Oh, I've got this really bad headache. And I'd be, and then I think, oh, no, I know what this is. And then I would just be in bed for weeks like somebody had poisoned me, like stomach in a vice, headache, like drinking poison. So obviously this affected our family life rather drastically because if we all went out as a family to a restaurant and you'd sit there and Julian put his arms on the table and they would stick to the table or the cutlery was dirty, you'd go, right, we're, we're leaving, right, we're not, there's no way we're eating here and you're being ill for weeks and we'd all get up and troop out. And so this really affected me. I, was, I became dairy intolerant. Um, food was a nightmare, eating out, going to receptions, going to buffets, anything like that. I just wouldn't eat or, you know, it was, it was difficult. And during that time, I prayed many times uh, that God would heal me because I believe that God heals. And I would pray to be healed, but nothing happened. And it, this went on for about... Uh, seven, eight years really. And so in the end, you manage that condition. And so other people aren't particularly aware of it unless you go and stay with them and then they buy you soya yogurt and things like that. So um, one time, do you remember when we had Sam Larby come and speak here, who was in Bible college with Julian? And um, Sam came to speak. And some years earlier, I had been prayed for for a neck condition. I'd had a a sports injury, believe it or not. I'd had a sports injury um, when Sean and I, you know, trained in aerobics and did aerobics classes. Um, Oh, it gives a shiver. (laughs) Um, Somebody, we'd gone on a training thing, and there was a bloke there just showing off to us a bit, wasn't there? And I was doing some exercise on a bench, and he threw me a medicine ball as a joke. Do you remember that? And it snapped my neck back. I had a severe whiplash injury that left me um, sort of uh, numb, really, down one side. And God had healed me amazingly from that when um, Sam had prayed. And I'd, I'd had that condition for years. So Sam came back, and I happened to be ill at the time, in bed at home. And somebody drove me here, and I was sat about there where Sandra is. And um, I remember sitting there, everyone's worshipping and happy and saying hi to each other. And I thought, I'm just, I'm just too ill to be here. I can't believe I managed to get out of bed. And we were all standing up worshipping. I was gripping onto the back of the blue chair like this, thinking, oh, really, I should be home. And I thought, no, actually, no, I shouldn't be at home because Sam is here and God is going to heal people tonight and I'm in exactly the right place. So I sat down feeling really ill just over there. And then I don't know if those of you who are here remember, Sam preached a sermon and during his sermon he said the previous Sunday was a young couple in their church who'd had a little baby and the baby had been born blind. And in the middle of his sermon, the lady had interrupted his sermon and got up and walked down the aisle holding the baby in the middle of the sermon and said to him, Pastor, will you pray that Jesus will heal my baby? And he said, in the name of Jesus, eyes be opened. And they were. And at that moment, the baby's eyes opened. Now, when I heard that, I knew I was going to be healed. I knew. It was like faith was released, the penny dropped, and I knew. And at that moment that I knew I was going to be healed, I started to feel something like pressing really hard in my stomach, almost like layer by layer through your intestines, through my stomach. It was, it was quite painful. And it went, started here and went all the way like to the top of my ribs and stopped. And I was better, completely better. Just like I sat up. I was completely better. Matthew was sat down the aisle and all through the meeting, he'd been keeping an eye. Mum, you all right? Are you okay? And uh, he looked down the aisle and he went, what's happened to you? And I I was completely healed. And at that moment, Sam said, oh, hang on a minute. Someone here has been healed of a stomach condition. I went, oh, that would be me. (laughs) And God healed me completely. Now, the test was going home 
and trying food I could never eat. Because before I would be very ill for a long time if I ate the wrong thing. And the thing I missed the most um, out of everything that I couldn't eat was shreddies with cold milk and sugar. That, that's, I, out of everything, I miss that the most. <clears throat> and so I went home, poured myself a bowl of shreddies, got the milk out, and I said, well, Lord, I know that you've healed me. I can feel in my body you've healed me. I know that you've healed me. And in faith now, I'm going to eat these shreddies and see what you've done in my life. And I ate that bowl of shreddies, and I've eaten anything I want ever since. And that's like eight years. Completely healed. Now, sometimes people say to me, your healing is in people's imagination. Well, when you've lived with a disability in your neck and you get healed and you can suddenly drive and decorate and paint and do things you couldn't before. When you've lived with a stomach condition that's affected your whole family and now suddenly you can eat anything, um, you know it's not in your head right? that you've been healed, that you're living with healing. And so it's led to a journey of healing, as we know, in our church of incredible healings in this body here, which we'll do in week three. But when I think of um, blood, she's not here this morning, but blood has had incredible healing. Incredible, just healing after healing after healing, which we'll look at in week three. Suzanne, I remember when you got pregnant with Evie and they found a cyst on Suzanne's fallopian tube that would threaten the pregnancy. And we stood here, didn't we? And uh, uh, we talked about it. I just knew God. I just, I just knew God was going to heal her. And you knew God was going to heal you. We went to pray, and we looked at each other and said, "God's going to do this, isn't He?" And Suzanne said, "I know." And I prayed for you standing there. She felt a pop inside. Went for a scan. Cyst completely gone. Just gone. <clears throat> Adam's knee. We've heard Adam's testimony. We'll look at that um, another week about being, you know, having a metal rod through his knee, numb for six years, and now you've got the feeling back. So, boys, you can like kick him in the shins now, and he can feel it. <laughs> now, <clears throat> this is the thing. If I observe some of the healings I've seen and some of the healings I've experienced, is that I've seen that people get healed when they have faith. Now, I'd gone through like nine years of a bad neck, about eight years of a bad stomach, and I believed God could heal. And I believed and I hoped and I wished and I hoped and I believed and I hoped. But I know the difference when faith dropped like a penny. I know the difference. And when people have faith and they believe, they know power is released. Now, a few weeks ago, I went to speak in Bristol. And afterwards, um, I, they asked if I would pray for people for healing. And all these different people came forward. I could see as they approached me, they had no faith, no faith at all. Some of them had been prayed for for many, many years. And when I prayed for them, they even said to me as I was praying, I don't think God's going to do this. Okay. Now, you know, we'd had a busy, I'd led with Flick in the morning, driven to Bristol, preached in this church. I was quite tired, looking forward to coming home. And I thought, you know, I don't think I got... Not that I don't have patience for this, but God does want to heal these people, but they don't believe it. And their lack of faith was preventing any of them get healed. And then there was an old, older couple, uh, like retired couple, over on the side who were just waiting patiently, just waiting, waiting, waiting with a stick each. So when I'd finished with all this and everyone was going home, I walked over and I said to the couple, are you waiting for me or are you waiting for a lift home? They said, no, we're waiting for you. I said, what's the matter? And the lady said, I have arthritis that's just flared up in my knee. We're going away for our 60th wedding anniversary, but I can't walk. And we're going on a cruise and I can't lift my foot up a stair. 
Um, and I said to the man, what's wrong with you? And he said, well, don't start. I've got 20 things wrong with me. But the thing that's really hurting me at the moment is my hands. I looked at his hands and they were all, um, you know, bent up like that. So I thought, right, we're not having any of this messing that we had earlier. So I said to the lady, do you believe Jesus heals? And she said, I do. And I said, but do you believe Jesus is going to heal you? And she stopped for a moment and she said, yes, I do. And I said, well, then I'll pray for you. Prayed for a knee and knee got healed. I said to Rachel, she, she went, oh my goodness, it's all gone. The pain's all gone. And Rachel was with me. I said to Rachel, take her to the steps in the foyer and see if she can walk up the steps while I pray for the husband. Because they're waiting to lock up now. We like being inconvenient. So then I said to the guy, let's pray for your hands. Is it all right if I hold your hands? So I held his hands, prayed for his hands. And when I took my hands away, all the bentness had gone. His hands were all straight apart from one knobbly bit on the forefinger. Just like that, just healed. Because I asked him the same question. Do you believe God can heal? And do you believe Jesus will heal you? And he said yes. And his faith healed him. And then Rachel and the lady came back. And um, she said, I can walk up the steps. She was crying. Um, She said, I think I've walked up the steps too much. I've made both feet sore now. So I said, well, go, go home and rest and go and pack for your anniversary. Now, this is the thing. It reminds me of that time when there was a woman sat at home who had spent all her money on doctors because of a bleeding issue. And she couldn't go out. She was unclean. She couldn't go around. But she knew Jesus would heal her. She knew that Jesus wanted to. She knew that Jesus could. She knew that Jesus would. And one day she decided to leave the safety of her house because she wasn't really allowed out in her, un- her condition. She's unclean. And she walked through a crowd. And the Bible says she knew if she could just touch Jesus' cloak, she would be healed. And so she pressed through the crowd with determination because she knew that all she had to do was touch him and she would be healed. And as we know, she pressed through that crowd, touched just the edge of his garment, and she was totally healed. And then Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples said, don't be ridiculous. Everybody's touching you. She said, no, but somebody touched me in a different way. And this is the key with healing. It's like, it's not hoping and wishing. That's like touching Okay? But this woman touched with faith. She knew if she just reached out, if she could just touch Jesus, she'd be healed. He said, no, there was someone different. Power went out of me. And he said to her so kindly, daughter, your faith has made you well. And so when we're looking at healing, we know that there is this element, this unexplained element where we know that Jesus heals We believe that he does. It's like a moment when the penny drops and we see healing happen. And you know, when we run the healing cafe, often that's straight away, isn't it? When there's faith, it's often straight away or a second or a third prayer. Now, over the weeks, we'll look at all the other bits to do with this as well. But we just, you know, this is our starting place. And this is the other thing that we have noticed is that people get healed in a high faith climate. So in our church here in Cornerstone, we have a high faith climate for healing because so many of us have been healed that we know God heals. We expect him to heal. We know that he will and we see that he does. So we have a high faith climate and we need to persevere with that as a church and make sure that high faith climate grows and grows and grows, that we absolutely know it in our bones that God wants to heal and he does. And in some ways, I think it's a, it's a mindset that we have. It's a mindset that what we... See, I, I think we have incredible faith 
for things that are unseen, right? Now, you and I believe that Jesus forgives our sins with a prayer, don't we? And we've experienced that. We've asked Jesus to forgive our sins, to come into our life, to give our life to him and walk with him. And we've all experienced that. We feel the difference. We know the difference in our life. But it is total faith. Were any of us there 2,000 years ago and watched Jesus die on a cross? We weren't there, were we? We, we? we didn't see it, but we believe it and we believe the history and believe the Bible, but we weren't there. Can we see our sins in our heart? No, we can see the effect of our sins. We can't see our sins. But when we pray a prayer by faith, we know Jesus has forgiven us. That is a huge leap of faith that every one of us has taken and it's transformed our lives. Yet somehow, when it comes to flesh and blood, we find it harder to believe. But the harder thing to believe is the sins. Now, in Jesus' day, do you remember when it says he got in a boat, he crossed over, he came to his hometown, and they brought him a paralyzed man. And he said to the paralyzed man, your sins be forgiven. And all the religious leaders went berserk because they thought it was blasphemy. And and they were having a go at Jesus. And Jesus said, what's easier? to forgive sins or heal his body. Now, all the crowd there had no problem with his body being healed. They, they couldn't believe Jesus could forgive sins. In our day and age, we have no problem believing Jesus forgives sins. We have problems believing he heals the body. Can you see? Isn't that strange? And so we need a mind shift that understands that when Jesus died on the cross, it was for our sins and our sickness, and that we apply the same faith that we do to our salvation as we do to our healing. Now, do you remember that old... That's the lady trying to... Right. Do you remember that old film, The Matrix? We were talking about The Matrix the other day because Chloe has never seen it, and I realize there's a whole generation not seen it yet. But in this, in this film, The Matrix, everyone's living their normal everyday life, and then there's this guy, Neo, okay? And to cut a very long-winded story short, you'd have to watch the film. But he, he suddenly has this realization that the world he's living in is not real. It's a construct. And outside of that world is a power uh, creating that world. But it's a construct. So people feel they're doing their everyday, having their shreddies, going to work, coming home, watching a bit of TV, going to bed, walking the dog. Um, And then he suddenly has this realization that it's not real. And so because it's not real, he can change things. So he has bullets fired at him by the baddies. And when, because he knows it's not real, he just puts his hand out and the bullets come towards him and then all fall because he knows he's not really living in reality. Now, this world that you and I live in is beyond what we can see. It is a spiritual world of a spiritual God. And when God says he can move mountains, he can. When God says he can do amazing things, he can. He more than can. Now, do you remember that story we told a while back when Julian and I were young and we went off on a little um, date to Tenby when we were going out? We took a, a picnic. And I was um, wearing, I mean, this is back in the 80s now. Do any of you remember those kind of pinafore dresses? They're sort of like denim pinafore, but in all different colors. So mine was in like bright pink and it had a big like um, pocket on the front. Okay, so we went off on this picnic and um, a lady in my home church had lent me a watch. And this lady was just like a hero of the faith. 
Uh, she was about 83, loved the Lord with a passion. She was a widow. Um, every meeting she and I went to, she'd be there dancing with a tambourine, and she loved the Lord with a passion. She taught me a lot of things. And in her bungalow, she set a bedroom aside for me that I could go and work and do my revision and my study there because my house was very busy. And um, I, I loved this lady so much. And she lent me her watch because I, I can't remember why. Something had happened with my watch. She lent me her watch. So when we went to Tenby on the sand dunes, I thought, oh, I don't want to get sand in Ruth's watch. That would be terrible. So I took it off and put it in the pocket. So anyway, we went off, had a picnic, ran around the dunes, had a lovely day. At the end of the day, we walked back to the car and I put my hand in the pocket to get the watch and it's gone. And I said to Julian, we're going to have to go back and find the watch. And as you know, there are Tenby sand dunes. And if you've ever been to Tenby Beach, one sand dune looks very much like another. It's a massive beach. And I could see Julian go very pale because here we are, new boyfriend, girlfriend. He doesn't really want to say no, but he knows it's impossible. And um, I said, no, I really, he said, darling, I think you're going to have to say to Ruth, you know, I'm so sorry, it's lost. I said, I can't. I just can't. I can't do that to Ruth. I can't. I have to go back and find it. So we put all our stuff in the car and we, we walked very <laughs> heavily back to the sand dunes. And as we walked towards the sand dunes, I was praying and I said, Lord, where will that watch be in the whole of those sand dunes? But I know that people are important to you and I I, I are desperate to find it. And as we walked, Julian was praying, oh Lord, I'm going to be here all night. <laughs> I know she won't give up. <laughs> and as Julian prayed, God gave him a picture. And in his mind, as we were walking along, he didn't tell me this at the time, but as we were walking along, he had a picture of him just putting his hand under the sand, closing his fist, pulling it out, and there would be the watch in this picture. So anyway, we walked to the sand dunes. We walk along the beach. You, you, we, we couldn't tell where we'd been. Everything looks the same. So we start looking around in various sand dunes. We get to one sand dune, and um, Julian just did what he saw in the picture. And he just put his hand into the sand, closed his fist, drew it out, and there was the watch. Right? Now, God can do anything. This world that we live in isn't just flesh and blood. He is a spiritual God who can do anything. And to heal our bodies is nothing to him. It's not impossible to him. What is harder, says Jesus, to forgive your sins or to heal your body? So that's where we read it in Matthew 9. Jesus said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? And the man got up and walked. Now, in my mind, I imagine it like this. God wants everybody to be healed, but in our experience at the moment, we're seeing virtually everybody we pray for healed, and a few are not. And we're going to look at this over the weeks. Um, why does this happen? But some places uh, we visit, or in our, in our Western experience, a lot of people feel not is the majority, and a few are healed. But God wants the first picture, that everybody is healed, and occasionally some are not and we don't know why, but we have to explore that with God. And I think, as for us as a church, <clears throat> we want to really walk with that mindset of the healed, but the reality that some are not. Not walk with something in our mind that most people probably won't, but a few special ones will. So you and I, we walk with the first picture that people are going to be healed and sometimes they're not. Now, briefly, 
we're going to look at why some people don't get healed. And we'll do this in more depth later. Some people don't get healed, and we don't know why. Some people don't get healed straight away. They get healed later. But my concern is this, for myself and for all of us together, is that we don't let the not stop us from praying. That we don't let the disappointment of when it doesn't happen rule our thinking and rule our practice. And I, for myself, I feel I will not let past disappointment affect my future practice. Now, you and I face disappointment every day. Every day we face disappointment. In little ways, in big ways. We might burn the pizza. That was disappointing. We book a holiday and it turns out rubbish. That was disappointing. A friend cancels on us something we were looking forward to. We're disappointed. But disappointment is the nature of life. It doesn't stop us ever cooking another pizza or booking another holiday or arranging to meet a friend. And if we let disappointment rule us, our life will shrink back. Now, all of us have had disappointments, big or small, and maturity is how we handle them. Now, you don't know this morning we had ice cream. So you imagine you, you run to an ice cream van and get a Mr. Whippy for your four-year-old. And they're walking along and they're, you know, and what happens? It all falls off, doesn't it? Yeah? Now, if the ice cream van's gone, you can't replace it. You have to help your child learn to handle disappointment because that's part of life. When they can't go to a party or something nice they were looking forward to doesn't happen. We train our children to handle disappointment. Otherwise, we become emotional spoilt brats, right? We run along, you know, streets and streets in the car to find the ice cream van to replace it. We're not teaching our child how to handle disappointment. We're just teaching them mummy will fix anything in your life that goes wrong. And so just in the same way that we grow up in maturity in life to handle disappointment, in the same way in our spiritual lives, let us walk, not bowed down by disappointment, not focusing on that, but focusing on what God can do and what God will do while pastoring those living in that waiting season, which I've experienced myself. Now, this is one of the challenges When healing doesn't happen. Now you'll know, um, those of you who know us, or this is, this is especially for Robbie, this picture. This is about handling disappointment. When I grew up and I used to take Matthew to all the Star Wars films, the stormtroopers had this huge mystery. You never saw them with their helmet off. And when I came across this picture, I, I, I thought Robbie might like it, that this is really handling disappointment because the mystery of the stormtrooper is that he's taken his helmet off, but he's just a bloke waiting for his breakfast reading the paper. <laughs> and to me, that just sums up a picture of, you know, disappointment, the mystery solved. But um, there we are. So handling disappointment. Now, in our own family life, this is my mum here, and um, my 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 mum, like you know, many mums, um, was not just my mum but my friend, and we were friends, and we had a laugh, and she understood me, and I could just say anything, and she would still love me, and we had a great relationship. And um, one day, she found that she had ovarian cancer. And she had an operation, and they said it was sorted, but actually she was in remission. 
And um, on November the 5th, 1999, um, I had a phone call saying she'd been rushed into hospital in terrible pain. And they did an operation and they found that she had bowel cancer. And the ovarian cancer hadn't really fully gone. It had gone to the bowel. And I went to speak with the surgeon because she was living on her own by this time. And... um, So I was like the next of kin as the eldest daughter. And he said, I'm sorry to tell you that your mother just has cancer all through her insides. She won't live beyond a few weeks. And it's gone to her liver and it's inoperable. And he said, I can tell her or you can. And um, so I went and had a long chat with my mum. We talked about the future. And sadly, within a number of weeks, she died at the age of 59. And... um, I I think I I really, uh, it took me, you know, a couple of years to really um, get past the blackest times of that, to see her go through so much pain, to nurse her and to lose her. And during that time, I prayed and I said, Lord, are you going to heal her? I've seen amazing healings and are you going to heal my mum? And I felt the Lord say to me, I'm going to take her home. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why she's in that little knot you know, healed or not. I don't know why. But that gave me comfort that I felt God had included me in his um, plan for her. And so I would still drive down. Every Thursday night I would drive down. I would look after a nurse. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, drive back Sunday night or Monday, do the gap during the week and my own kids, and then drive back and look after every weekend between November and February. And she died on February the 24th. And um, she asked me every time I went to pray for her and pray for her healing, which I did. Um, but I knew God had told me he was going to take her home. And her one prayer was that she, she would die with me. And that's what happened. And I was sat on the bed and I held her hand and we prayed together. By this time, she couldn't see. And uh, she took her last breath. And it was incredibly sad and painful. And within nine months, my nana woke up paralyzed and they found she had a brain tumor and lung cancer. So I drove down and went and sat with her in the hospital. And she said, I can't wait to see the Lord and to see Ginny, that's her daughter. I can't wait. And the nurse said to me, she's the person, the most happiest person I've seen facing death, the happiest person. And those were the two people closest to me that I lost within months of each other. And then within a few months, my twin brother found he had a lump on his knee. It was about the size of um, like a little chicken fillet. And he went to the doctors and they just said it was like muscle strain. But eventually he paid to go to a specialist. And it was a deadly type of cancer that is very, very rare to get this cancer. And that if you get it in the trunk of your body, you die. But if it's in another part of your body, you know, there's a chance. So they operated on him. But I think with the period of time that had passed, somehow it spread and it spread onto his lungs, not inside his lungs, like lung cancer, but on his lungs. So within a few months, he died. And during this period, um, Julian's sister, Sean, died as well and came to live with John and Sheila, and she died. So in this like four or five-year period from 99 to about 2004, 2005, um, as a couple and a family, we went through just the most horrible tragedy of, of, and many of you have experienced the same thing where people you love, you see them go through terrible things and die. 
And during that time, I would say to the Lord, I want to walk with you through this journey that I don't die of disappointment. I don't um, start to uh, question what you're doing, but that actually I trust you. And this is what I came out with the other end of that experience. Because while we were going through this, there was an acceleration of healing everywhere else we went. In the church, there's an acceleration of healing. When we traveled and spoke, there was an acceleration of healing. But in our own lives, it was tragic. And I think God was letting us learn some things in that period. And so I was like asking why. And I felt the Lord say to me, why is the wrong question? But actually the question is who? That when we don't know why, we just know who. That God is the one who knows the answers to everything, who carries this world. We know it's his intention to heal everyone. And on those occasions that it's not, he knows why. Now, we mustn't create that into a theology of God knows why, so we go back to the not, right? That God's intention is for everyone to be healed. And occasionally when they're not, only he knows why. And I found it helped me to go deeper in my relationship with him through that pain to hold on to him and say, I will never let this hold me back. And then Julian found a lump in his neck. And the lump grew and grew and grew. And the doctor said it was a cyst, it was this, it was that, it was a branchial cyst, it was something caught in a jacuzzi, it was this, that, and the other. And eventually, in the January, they took it out, it was the size of a tangerine. And, they, and the surgeon said, if I was a betting man, it's benign. All the tests said it was benign. They said, we'll see you in a few weeks for aftercare. Within a few days, we invited back. And we sat in that little room with the doctor the surgeon, <clears throat> Julian still had the wound there. And they said, actually, it's cancer. And it's an aggressive cancer. And it's a secondary. And now we're going to start hunting for the primary. And that's a whole different story. But that was a bombshell, right? Going on this journey of seeing healing, going through tragedy. Now my husband has cancer. So the next day, and some of you have heard this story. I'm going to finish with this one. The next day, <clears throat> I was on a train to Stafford. And some, a year before, I'd done a church weekend for a church up in Stafford, and I'd done a church weekend for them in Derby, and they'd invited me back to do a day, and I was the only speaker for the day. Now, sometimes when you go to these things, you're one of like four speakers, and so I'd have just cancelled. But because all these women had come and paid, and I was the only speaker, I just couldn't let them down at a day's notice. And I was on the train, and I felt so vulnerable and so stripped, and it brings back all the pain of the previous losses and I was on the train and I said Lord you just have to do this thankfully all my talks and films and everything was all ready so it was all in a bag and I was on the train and I said Lord I don't know how I'm going to do this but we have to do it together you have to do this I don't know I'm going to stand up in front of 300 people while my heart is breaking and their theme was love actually and it was all a fun day on love and anyway so we got there and <clears throat> had some various meetings and set up slept the night I got there in the morning I said to the lady in charge, look, I just want to share with you where, you know, what's happened in the last 24 hours. If I don't make it through the day, you might have something else up your sleeve because feeling pretty raw. Anyway, preached the first thing. That went fine. Coffee break. Preached the second one. And in the second preach, this is what happened. I'm preaching about love and God's kindness and God's mercy. And, and I believe every word with every fiber of my being. And, and I started to feel really like... Um, 
aggressive inside, really aggressive. And, and although I was speaking about God's love, inside it was firing me up. And inside I was pacing around like this. I was pacing around. So although I was standing, inside I'm pacing. And I'm going, this is not going to happen. This is not going to ha- I am not going to lose my husband to cancer. This is not going to happen. Lord, I don't believe you want this to happen. It's not going to happen. I don't believe it will happen. I know you want to heal people. You want to heal everybody love and Jesus is loving and Jesus is kind and there was this thing going on at the same time and and I was nearly bursting with it so I I finished the session I said okay they wanted an altar call for everyone who wanted you know to feel God's love and all of that and they had a prayer team so I did everything I'd been asked to do and about 40 or 60 women all went over there to be prayed for for love and I said this if anyone here needs healing today I'll be over on the side come and see me after just like Tea and coffee over here, peppermint tea bag over there, just like casual, like that. And then the meeting ended, and I went over there, and I thought, what have I done? Where's the prayer team? Where's Julian? It's just me. (laughs) Why did I do that? And um, suddenly I had a queue of 12 women, and um, the first lady had um she was uh, mid-60s very nicely dressed and she limped to the front and you could see her knee was all like puffy and swollen and I said so what uh, what have you come for she said I've had pain in my ears for 30 years and she said I just sit in there while you were speaking and she said I know the subject was love but just something went that's it no more that's it God's going to heal me today and I thought, oh, the same thing that was happening to me was happening to her. I said, well, let's pray. Literally just did this. This is all I did. I put my hands over her ears and said, I command your ears to be healed in the name of Jesus. All the pain went. Now, all I saw is she started crying. And I thought maybe I'd hurt her ears. And, and I said, you're all right. And she went, it's all gone. I've lived with this for 30 years. All the pain went straight away. So I said, oh, well, we better do your knee. So I got on my knees and put my hands around this, like, you know, puffy, swollen knee and said, in the name of Jesus, knee be healed in front of my eyes. It went normal. She stood up, walked away crying like where she'd walked down like this. She walked off perfectly normal. I don't, I don't know who was more shocked, her or me. Even though we've seen healing all these years, you never stop being shocked. And the next lady was about, you know, like mid to late 20s. And she was really tall. And she was kind of standing like this with a friend holding her. And I said, so, so what's the matter with you? And she said, nine months ago, I was in a car accident. They've done everything they can for me. I'm in pain every day. I'm on painkillers. It doesn't touch the pain anymore. I'm on my third cortisone injection that she just had that week. But she said, it, it doesn't touch the pain anymore. I'm beside myself. And her friend was kind of holding her. So I said, great, let's pray. Well, she's really tall. So I went round the back and put my hands up on her shoulder blades, uh, prayed, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Straight away, she went, oh, oh, it's all gone. It's all gone. And I said, what about the shoulder? And she said, no, the shoulder's still there, but my back's better. So well, let's pray for the shoulder. So I came around the side, prayed for her, her shoulder where the injection was. All the pain left. She got all her movement back. She was perfectly normal. Her friend burst into tears. Her friend said she'd had to be helping wash and dress her since the car accident because she's in too much pain to do it herself. At the end of the day, this woman was carrying boxes and stuff to the van when the day ended. And I was like, don't you think you should be careful? And she's like, well, I've been totally healed so one by one all these women um can, can i tell you the fu- the funniest one right Shall I? it's not really funny but sh- uh, i'm you know i don't bit over time but i'll tell you the funniest one 
this lady had a really badly damaged foot, okay? And she showed me her feet. One was normal. One was all curved up like that. And I said, you know, how did that happen? And um, this, this is the most unbelievable part, right? She said that in their house, her husband leaves his clothes strewn all over the bedroom. I thought, I can't believe that. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's the most astounding. In this, I can't believe that. That they would just be strewn across the bedroom. And um, so, you know, I was adjusting my thinking matrix and all that, really trying to understand what she's saying. So he had left his trousers on the floor with this heavy belt that he'd been bought with the spike of the belt sticking upwards. She ran up into the bedroom and it went through the bottom of her foot. So it had gone all like um, infected and she'd been to the doctor and it was all healed now, but it had left it like, like that. So... People like to show you these things. I'm a bit squeamish. So she showed me a foot. I was like, what? Was, uh, you know. But everybody was getting healed, every single person. And I prayed for a foot. In front of all of us gathered around her, her foot went normal straight away. Straight away. Every single person, one after the other, all healed outrightly, one prayer. Can God heal today? Yes. Does he want to heal today? Yes. Do people occasionally not get healed? Yes. Do we know why? Not really. But what are we going to do with this information? For me personally, I've decided I'm not going to let anything hold me back. Let's pray for every person who is sick or has something wrong and not look at the not, but look at the yes. Are you with me on that? Are you going to do that? One last thing to end. When you look at the life of Jesus, healing is standard. Read through the Gospels, healing is standard. We're going to look at that over the weeks. When we look at what's happening in Wales at the moment, emails, reports, people are being healed like never before in ordinary, ordinary, casual ways. Okay? Just Jesus is healing. But I want to finish with this. Why does Jesus heal our bodies? It's because he cares about us. It's because it's part of the whole gospel package that he cares about us. It's his kingdom coming. It's taking it back to what he intended in the garden. So Jesus wants to heal our bodies. It's important to him. The details of our lives are important to him, even down to a watch in the sand. But there is something more important to God than our bodies. And that's our soul. Because our spirit lives forever. And this body is temporary. This body is a temporary shell to, to, to enjoy this life with. But inside every one of us, we have a spirit that lives forever. And we can decide in this life that when we cross into the next life, which for some people happens prematurely, for some, hopefully, we'll fall asleep in bed one day in our old age and go into heaven. But at whatever point that happens, when we cross over into eternity, the decision we make in this life decides whether we spend eternity with Jesus or eternity without him. Now you imagine sometimes when you've been somewhere that feels really dodgy, it feels dangerous, it feels dodgy. Last time we went to Spain, I said to June, I really want to find out where the train station is. And we walked out of the town to a seedier part of the town where we started trying to look for the train station. And we got to a part, and June said, actually, right, turn around, we're going back. Because we haven't found the station yet. He said, can't you just feel the atmospheres change? And you had, you could notice that 
Everything had changed. It was a place without peace. And if we spend eternity without Jesus, it's a place without peace, without Jesus, without goodness, without all the things that he intends for us. But eternity with him is experiencing everything he has for us now and in the future when we die. And so there is something more important than our bodies, and that is our spirit. And where are we going to spend eternity? Is that with Jesus or is that without him? And if you're here today and you haven't yet made that decision to follow Jesus, what are you waiting for? Because none of us know when our time ends. I remember talking with my brother before he got sick. And I talked with my brother and he said, I want to live my life how I want to live it. And then maybe on my deathbed, I will change my mind. I don't know if he did. I talked with him. I prayed with him. I sent him stuff. I don't know. I don't know if he, he made that decision in time. But we have time. And so if you're here today and you haven't made that decision yet, what are you waiting for? Just turn your life to Jesus and say, you have amazing stuff for me. You don't want, don't want to just heal my body, but heal my heart, heal my life. And we'll be looking at how Jesus heals the things in us in future weeks as well. So lastly, to finish on, because you've listened ever so well, and I know it's taken a long time to tell all these stories. But one last thing. Let's have courage to pray for the sick. Let's have courage. There are people in your office, in your street, in the supermarket, that when we see that opportunity, we just got to say, let me pray for you. When a colleague says, oh, I've had a splitting headache all day, let's just offer prayer. Let's just go for it now. Let's have courage, not hold back. Because does God want to heal? Yes, he absolutely does. Is he healing right now in Wales? He is. So let's go with what he's doing, have courage, don't hold back, but let's share what God has, that transforming power with everybody we meet. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, when we look at you and your life, how you were so compassionate, how people came to you for you to heal their bodies, Lord, we know that your spirit is in us, And we want to walk courageously every single day that we begin to learn to be healing the sick in your name. I pray, Lord, for every one of us here that you'll give us courage and boldness not to hold back, but to see the amazing things that you're going to do. And Lord, I thank you that you rescue us from ourselves, that you have a place for us. You want to invade our life now with your transforming power. And I'm just going to pray now, if you, if you want to give your life to Jesus and you never have before, this is your opportunity now. I'm going to pray a prayer that you can pray uh, in your own heart because Jesus is here to change our lives. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. I thank you that you have the power to forgive my sins. I confess my sins to you now. I ask that you will forgive me. I ask that you will wipe the sheet clean. I ask that you will come into my life and that you will transform me from this day on. I want to live my life for you in every adventure you have for me. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone praying that prayer today, that you'll just come upon them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that new life bring, begins today. And I pray too, Lord, for every one of us, that we walk with great courage and boldness, that we just take this out to those around us, that they will know that you are real and that you care. 
In Jesus' name, amen.